Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Now, you're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds, he fires. Swing and a miss, right play, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. Today I am joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 305 of the show. Bob, welcome back. We have no Keaton this time, but uh, we, we will truck on nonetheless. Was that a truck day joke? Uh, it wasn't, but it should be. So, yes, yeah. it was a truck day joke. No, we're uh, we're on our way on 95 South. We've been following the truck for about 48 hours now. It's been one hell of a ride. Yeah, They couldn't actually... find the sunflower seeds in Florida. I'm actually doing this podcast from the the back of the truck, oh. and I'm I'm in the middle of counting the twenty thousand some odd baseballs just to make sure that they're all there. Um, so you know, what an just, embarrassment! Yeah, look for that. Um, but no, we're happy to be back in your eardrums. It's been a little while. Uh, the Red Sox, you know, it's their fault. They haven't really given us anything to talk about. Um, but finally, there's a couple of tidbits. So. We're going to be gnawing on the uh, old empty bone that is the Red Sox uh, for this episode. If you want to send us an email, you can do so at redseatpodcast at gmail.com. But let's get started. The uh, The little bits of meat that we have to discuss uh, start with the return of the prodigal son, Theo Epstein, uh, returning to FSG, um, albeit not in the role that I think... Most of us would uh, would have ideally wanted him to be as like a 
a head of baseball operations. But obviously, I mean, Theo's too big for that at this point. But he is returning to the Red Sox as a part owner and an advisor, uh, senior advisor for all of the FSG portfolio. Um, you know, my, my high-level thoughts here are just that anytime that Theo is coming back to the Red Sox or involved with anything to do with baseball, it's usually a good thing. So, I mean, uh, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm kind of happy about it. I'm, I'm psyched that Theo is back with the Red Sox. I'm not 100% sure what exactly it's going to entail, but I know that it cannot be a bad thing. So I guess... Overall, I would say that I am pretty excited about this, even though I'm not really sure why I'm excited about it. I think that's really well said because, uh, you know, I the, the, my first sentence was going to be, I don't know how it could be looked at as a negative, which is pretty much what you just said. I guess every 20 to 25 years, we're going to bring Theo in to save the franchise, it seems like. Um, you know, I, I just... Like, my first thought is I picture John Henry like calling Theo and just being like, oh, everyone's mad and I don't know why. Can you come in and fix this for us? Translate what's happening. I think that was a John Henry-Bill Clinton combination, but you get my point. It's just, you know, him thinking, oh, you know, we, we signed pitching and Lucas Giolito is here and we have good prospects and people are still calling me bad words on Twitter. You know, like, they just didn't, they don't get it. Everything that they've said for months and everything that the owners have shown for a couple of years now, I think that they are so detached from the fan base that they don't understand why people are pissed off and that they almost had to bring Theo in as um, a sounding board or a liaison somewhere in between for the executives and the fans while also, of course, you know, being an advisor for Craig Breslow and, um, you know, I think that he won't be advising them directly on the moves to make, nor should he, but that experience in the room can't help. You know, his resume speaks for itself. He'll be a Hall of Famer and, you know, has saved multiple franchise uh, from 80 plus years of a World Series drought and then has been, you know, an advisor. And really, any time that Epstein was on any podcasts, uh, he went on the Athletic Podcast annually to kind of talk about how they wanted to improve the game and rules changes. And it was always just really well thought out and felt like he had a sense of what the fans wanted that he could relay to Rob Manfred and company. And I feel like he can do something similar and hopefully for the first time since Dave Dombrowski was around, be someone that can kind of throw their weight around a little bit to get ownership to spend money. And that is my hope. I don't know whether that will happen or not, but I feel like it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think that's the the reason why I'm the most optimistic about this too, is just I, I feel pretty confident in Theo's ability to communicate what the team needs, um, whether that's translating what he and Breslow have talked about, um, but, you know, bringing that to Werner and, and Henry and, and the rest of the crew there at FSG and actually getting them to act on that information. 
um, in a way that makes sense and getting them to think kind of big picture about it. I think that, um, you know, they've, they've kind of just been balking at spending um, in general and not making exceptions and not maybe looking at the big picture. And Alex Spear recently wrote about this, about how, you know, by not signing a lot of guys this offseason, they're actually missing an opportunity to accelerate their rebuild. Um, and I thought that that was a good point, too, because, you know, we, we think about all the players who are signed that then get traded midseason for prospect calls if the team is out of it. And, you know, the Red Sox seem to be missing some opportunities to do some things like that with their inactivity as well. So I, I do think it is a good thing. And the fact that he has an ownership stake, I mean, means that he has some decision-making power. Um, and my hope is that also Theo is going to be out there for a few of these press conferences so we don't have to see the a human punching bag, Sam Kennedy, for all these. Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm real tired of them wheeling that guy out there. And he had he's some really be tired of it too. Well, he he should be, but I mean, he's getting a pretty good paycheck to do it. Um, yeah. The the thing that kind of, I don't know, I I didn't know what to make of it was uh, Sam Kennedy's comments about uh, Theo Epstein. You know, being like this might be a stepping stone for him or like he doesn't expect him to be here long. It was just kind of weird. <laughs> it seems like it seems like Sam almost doesn't want him here, even though I think he was involved with the recruiting of him because right. Theo is just like Sam, but way better at everything. You know, he's yeah. just like uh, I, I, I feel like he feels inferior when Theo's around. So, um, I feel I'm like surprised he said it out loud. Um, I'm sure it has to do with Theo probably angling to be part of an ownership group in the next couple of years. Um, and it was just like a, Hey, you know, while you got some time in between those two things, can you come in here and get our shit together? Yeah. I mean, but didn't he get an ownership stake for just coming into this thing like that's how they're paying him for this he's got yeah. some sort of a small ownership stake so right. i don't know this... but you know maybe if, if there's an expansion team that's something that he seemingly wants to be a part owner of in the long run i don't know i Just feel like guess. he's the next commissioner that's like that's yeah. the only place i can see him going from here is the next commissioner of baseball um but you know this is this is overall a really good thing. I can't wait to hear Theo talk. I, I hope that he is involved in, you know, making the bold moves and coaching up uh, Braslow about how to do this job and do it effectively and that he can act as that liaison between ownership and the Red Sox and hopefully get them to spend some money because um, they need to do that. But... Any other thoughts on Theo or this situation before we move on to our next topic? No. I think kind of what you were alluding to at the end there is that we hopefully will have fewer dumb quotes that come out of um, the executives. And that, as we'll be talking about in a moment, there have just been too many dumb things and tone-deaf decisions um, for several years and some they were still winning uh, that, you know, I think going all the way back to like the Don Arcillo decision, which bothered me, but it was like, oh, they're still winning. They had championships then. And then it's been one thing after another since then. And that they just need to kind of button that up. And I think that he can, if you put him in front of a microphone, he's 
gonna have he's gonna say the right thing most of the time or at least make it sound good <laughs> yeah well that leads us into our next topic uh two guys who standing in front of a mic do not make it sound good um sam kennedy and tom werner were a bit incredulous at the winter weekend uh fan event about the the sentiment out there that they're not trying hard enough we heard some real word salad from uh tom werner uh walking back his words about full throttle uh john henry did not make an appearance there um you know notably absent also from winter weekend was rafael devers and some other marquee players not that they have many marquee players on this team anymore um but overall what were your impressions by the pathetic showing at uh winter weekend fan fest whatever you want to call this ridiculous event that apparently people pay money to go to yeah, it, it's amazing how every year, at least for me, it's seemingly a quiet Friday night in the wintertime, and I'm thinking about like the looming NFL schedule and that there's nothing going on, and then I start getting notifications from winter weekend that it's a complete shit show. See, it, it just always sneaks up on me out of nowhere, and then I'm captivated by my phone and watching uh, choruses of booze and disgraceful comments one after another that I can't believe because this is two years in a row now and I think I said on one of the recent pods that last year was going to be a field day um, and then I didn't think it was going to be because they canceled the question and answer session that they had last year like total cowards and then it had just as many fireworks if not more uh, between the comments about lowering payroll for the second consecutive year and that um you know whatever werner said about you know justifying the high ticket prices because of the the history of fenway and that's why people the fan experience fan experience my goodness yes. yeah. acknowledging um, and, that it's a living museum which is wonderful for everybody right. to hear yes that'll bring all the opposing fans in all summer while there's fifteen thousand people there in april um and Warner saying it was actually he was talking about his life that he lives full throttle, which I'm sure we all believe that was exactly what he was talking about, right? They they shouldn't have snuck that Vin Diesel quote in from the movie Triple X into that uh, that that teleprompter for him. What the hell was that guy thinking? He was originally cast for that role. I heard it was just like the most ridiculous quote. Yeah, I, I live my life one mile at a time. Right, like one quarter mile at a time. <laughs> that was, in my opinion, the most upsetting thing because I could not believe that anyone in a position of power that was on television in that moment felt that they should. He should tell us that it's his life that he's living full throttle. And <laughs> I then, mean, where's sorry. the video though? We got to get the video evidence of like. Werner with the Red Bull team, like, jumping out of a plane, you know, with no parachute, just fucking doing crazy shit. Oh, God. It's just the... the... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, douchiness that I felt from watching all of that. Um, it, and just really to go along with all of that, which I guess in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter compared to what is going to be going on in the field this year and that they have um, used none of those levers that he kept talking about to acquire actual on-the-field talent since six weeks ago when we felt there were so many moves or at least a couple more significant moves to improve the team. And as you said, and Alex Spear did a great job with, you know, there are ways to bridge the gap, um, even if you feel that it's a rebuilding year. To You can still bring in an arm. You can still bring in a right-handed bat, and those could be players that you move at the deadline if it doesn't work out on short-term deals. Justin Turner wanted to come back here. He expected to. They never talked to him. I don't understand that. You know, I mean, that's a piece. If you bring in an arm, if you, you got Kenley Jansen, you got Chris Martin, I think back to... Um, Cole Reagan's getting moved at the deadline last year in return for Araldus Chapman. Like, and then Araldus Chapman's going to Pittsburgh, and I'm sure that they anticipate moving him at the deadline. Those are minor things that you can do to try to put, <laughs> whether you're faking it or not, try to put an effort out there going into the season. Best best case scenario, you end up with a 2013 where you've got, you know, a few core pieces and the veterans help out, and then you've got a couple key prospects that might be ready by the all-star break and if it all comes together right sure that's the five percent chance of an outcome but you know just to totally mail it in along with all of those comments it's just really been a tough month and uh she said at the beginning part of why it's been a couple weeks since we've chatted yeah we keep waiting for them to do something and uh you know the the most annoying thing about this whole off season is the pace of the off season and uh, the fact that so many of the marquee free agents are still available and like the guys that we've been talking about for the last two three months that the Red Sox could and should sign like Jorge Soler and like Jordan Montgomery are still available for them to sign so it's. Uh, yeah. It's wild to me that these guys are still out there, and it's wild to me that the Red Sox are just doing nothing. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get to it later, but, like, projected standings based on these rosters are already coming out because, you know, opening day is 50 days from now. It's not that far away. Um, so these guys got to sign, and baseball needs to fix this this offseason. It is just brutal. It is the worst offseason of any of the major sports and it's not even close at this point like the the snail's pace you know you think about especially how the nba captivates everybody um with the way that their off season happens and like it's always front page news and the way that even the football off season is pretty good nhl off season you get a lot of contract movement there's just nothing in baseball and it just sucks because it used to be a lot better um 
And now it's just, it's gotten to this point where like, I think it, it really is at a critical level. And if there was one other thing we, we should have got Theo to look at before, uh, he ended up coming to the Red Sox. One other thing for him to fix would have been this issue with, you know, making the sport more exciting when it's actually not being played. Somehow the most memorable free agency in the last, I don't know, 10 years was the lockout season because there was that frenzy right before mm-hmm. um, December 1st and then March, second week of March, whenever they uh, came out of the lockout, there was chaos on the other side of it and there was just so many things that happened in one or two day spans on both end of that. That, that that's the only kind of memorable free agency i can think of in recent years can't be this no no definitely not this but let's go ahead and move on to projections um you wrote an article um this past week uh evaluating the red sox offense based on some projections you use steamer the bat x and zips uh, to take a look at the red sox starting lineup on offense to see where these guys fell. Um, so what I want to do right now is go through the lineup on the offensive side of things. You're going to do pitching next week, so we'll save that for another week as well. But I want to just take a look at the projected lineup. And right now we have Jaron Duran leading off uh, as the center fielder for this team. You know, I've seen a couple different things. I've seen some projections that have him playing left field. And Tyler O'Neill in center field, but I agree that I think it's going to be him in center. Um, projections for him were uh, mostly mostly pretty much the same. I mean, I, across the three projection systems, he was essentially a 260 hitter, 320 OBP, um, somewhere befe- between a 420 and a 430 slugging percentage with a WRC right around 100. Um, high steals totals on the bad X and steamer of 28 and 24 with 21 being the low mark on zips and 15, 14, and 11 home runs on those three systems as well. Uh, what did you make of Jaron Duran's projection here? Um, do you think it is accurate? Which one of these three do you like the most? General thoughts on Duran's projection, given the fact that last year, you know, he did bat 295, 346, uh, 482 slug. So it seems quite a bit lower than what fans might be expecting for gender in. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was fair. I actually thought, and kind of what I outlined at the beginning of the piece is that you're not going to see really any hot takes when you're looking at projections. These are the 50th percentile, the median outcome. Um, you're, you know, if you run it a hundred times, this is what you're going to see most often. So, to me, you know, the bad X throwing 28 stolen bases out there and a 266 average, 15 homers, 75 runs, 57 RBI, um, I would be happy with that outcome. And I feel, especially with where he was at the beginning of last year when we didn't know what we were going to get from Duran, that is the type that can be a leadoff hitter, can be a table setter with a, you know, an OPS, a 762, um, above average hitter overall, have some power, 28 steals. They've got him for 28 doubles on there. Um, and, you know, I think he was close to the league lead. I think he had the most in the, during the time that he was up and, and healthy last year of doubles in the American league. Um, so I think that that, 
I would be fine with that outcome, and I think that it's reasonable if he can stay on the field. And I think I mentioned in the previous pod that like Alex Cora really has been talking about Duran as part of the core when he references the the Devers and and Cassis and Story Yoshida. He always references Duran, which makes me think that he's going to be a, a big part of the team. And even down the stretch, they started to play him more um, against left-handers. I don't know that they always will because Ref Snyder's really just going to be the guy that, you know, there were so many games it was the second that a lefty came in, Duran would go out and Ref Snyder would come in and vice versa. But I think as the season went on, it happened less frequently. And 529 plate appearances that the Bad X has, that makes me think he'll be playing most of the time against lefties. So I would take that. Let me ask you this. Um, Jaron Duran, you mentioned it in your article, and some people might be surprised by this. He's already 27 years old, even though it seems like he just debuted um, because he's a little bit on the older side for a prospect. But, um, you know, do you think that Jaron Duran can maintain the confidence that he had last year? And a lot has been talked about about how much a guy like Justin Turner helped him uh, find his swing and find his confidence. You know, do you worry at all about him losing that and kind of getting in his head, especially if he is tasked with doing something like leading off for this team? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is part of why I would be okay with this outcome because I fear that the the floor is lower with Duran, um, that there have been so many changes to um, ups and downs uh, on the field. Off the field, he's talked about struggles he's had with mental health, um, how he really didn't fit in with the 2022 team and felt a lot better in the 23 team. Changes to his swing path and where he holds his hands and all those things. I mean, that could turn the other direction just as quickly. So I do have that worry a little bit. And yeah, he, he talked about Turner a lot, which would, that's another reason why it might have been okay to bring Justin Turner back with this team. Um so yeah, I think that the floor is lower with Duran. Um but you know, if the confidence is there and as you said, he's a sneaky 27 years old. Um and I think that that is why we'll talk about some of the younger players who have lesser projections. I think that age factors in a lot more and why his is kind of staying somewhat close to what he did last year. All right, let's move on to a much less volatile player. Rafael Devers is projected to hit second in this lineup. Um, projection systems uh, all have him for over 30 home runs. Uh, 36 is the high on Steamer. Um, everybody has him for in the 90s in runs and over 100 RBIs. And everybody has him as a 350 OBP, 280-plus hitter. Uh, with a slug over 500, so remarkably consistent across three projection systems. Um, all of these have him sort of rebounding a little bit um, from where he was last year. He still finished, you know, with really good numbers last season. He had uh, uh, 33 home runs and he hit 270 with a 350 OBP, but he definitely had some struggles at, at different points. My worry here with this projection. You know, just assuming that in his 27-year-old season he's going to have a better year than he had last year is that I don't see a whole lot of protection for him in this lineup. And I'm a little bit worried about the 
you know, pitches that he's going to see and the fact that he's going to be able to be so targeted um, by opposing pitchers and pitched around and just generally not giving anything to hit. So, you know, how concerned are you that that might affect his performance on the field? I guess it depends on how this lineup shakes out. I think that Tristan Cassis, wherever they're hitting, should be hitting behind Devers, and I think will offer good protection for Devers. And I will get into Cassis in a little bit. So I'm less worried about that. I just don't know that, I mean, Ruster Resource has Duran, Devers, Cassis as the top three hitters. I think even if you start a righty, they're not going to do that because as soon as you bring a lefty in that has to face three hitters, uh, unless you're pinch hitting for Duran, you're going to have three lefties in a row. So it's not that big of a deal because they should be able to handle that. These are, especially with Devers, there's not concerns. Cassis, there are fewer concerns, but you still don't want a tough lefty coming in against all three of those guys. So I feel like this isn't going to be where it lands uh, in the order, but I still, even if it's two in a row, I would put Cassis behind Devers, and I think he will offer that protection um, as I, I think Cassis is going to have a really big year. Okay, so you're a little bit more bullish on Cassis than I am probably. Um, okay. Let me let me talk to you about that leadoff spot before we move on. Why wouldn't you put a guy like either Tyler O'Neill or Trevor Story in the leadoff spot uh, as a right-handed hitter just to kind of break that up, if you want to have Devers and Casas, you know, 2-3, the double lefty is there. Um, you know, it, it makes sense from a team leadership standpoint, um, you know, Story, especially stepping into that leadership role here. I know he's not been traditionally a, a high OBP guy, but he's been a decent OBP guy in his better seasons, and he's fully healthy now. So I feel like that could be a, a spot for him. And then Tyler O'Neill. You know, very similar qualities to Jaron Duran and has had a much better uh, best MLB season, too. So, you know, that's that's another guy who's got a little bit of speed and athleticism that I could see uh, being a nice fit out of the leadoff spot. Yeah, I, I think the strikeouts concern me a little bit, specifically with Story. I mean, Story could get to that point. He could come out and hit really well in the first month of the season and force himself into that spot and if he can have a 320 330 OBP hold his own especially I mean he was stealing bases with the new rules in 9 or 10 in a short amount of time so we've got his projections between 15 and 22 I think he should be a 20 steal guy but I think he's got to prove it first I don't think that can be where he is to start the season but I could see him moving in there eventually and I guess the answer is similar with O'Neal, right? Like, is he is he on the field? Is he healthy? And is he the guy that we saw three years ago? And I wrote in the piece that O'Neal and Story um, just are so similar in that their monster seasons are three years in the past and that they've dealt with injuries the last two years and kind of how it affects their projections, which pull off of the most recent seasons. And, you know, you, you see, especially with Story at his age, such a downturn in his projection. So I would rule uh, neither of those things out, but, you know, they're high strikeout guys, and they haven't proved it in a couple of years, and I think we got to see it first. 
Yeah, that's all fair. I, I think there's plenty of question marks for both of them and uh, ample question marks for for uh, Duran as well. But lots of question marks on this team. Yeah. Um, let's get to Tristan Casas, though. He's our next guy, hitting third in the order, playing first base, another left-handed hitter. Um, two of the projection systems, uh, Steamer and Zips, are pretty bullish on him. They both have him as essentially a 260 hitter with a 370 OBP and close to a 500 slug. They both have him right around 480, 490, um, you know, with a 130 WRC plus. And uh, Steamer is most bullish on his power, has him at 29 home runs. But the Bat X, which is your favorite projection system, Bob, um, because it does take into account all that stat cast data. Has him coming in with a 240 batting average, 340 OBP, and a 442 slug with just a 109 WRC plus. So, what gives here? Why are they a little bit more skeptical on uh, Tristan Casas? Yeah, this one. Well, I can't give you a good answer about that. This one perplexed me more than any projection system about any player in the piece. I don't know why they would only have him at 24 and 78 with the 242 average um the zips creator dan uh, zimborski he said that his guess in terms of why there was such a disparity because they actually wrote about the biggest disparities between the projection systems said he thinks it has to do with a left-handed power hitter at fenway park and that historically it's been a tough place to be a lefty power hitter and that it's pulling off of previous scenarios right which isn't going to be a perfect science and Cassis is his own player and you can't really go off of history and he has showed the ability to hit the ball the other way and over the monster and all of that so I just don't see it um but some of the other ones there I mean what I was going to say is that just the second half with Cassis you know is really stuck with me the fact that he hit 309 after the break with 15 homers in just 228 plate appearances he had a 412 obp after the break i mean he was just on a tear for two months and my biggest concern for him is his injury you know he ended with a shoulder injury he had some lower body injuries the two seasons before that both in the minor leagues and in the winter league and all of that so but if Cassis is on the field for 140 plus games, I'm expecting on the higher end, closer to the steamer number and maybe even beyond that. And I don't know, Jake, I mean, you said, didn't we talk early in the off season about where he's going to end up in, was it war or WRC plus among first basemen? And I thought we had him around five. Yeah, that sounds right to me, um, and I, I do remember talking about that and looking at these projections. I mean, I'm definitely more in line with what the steamer projection says for him. With uh, I think he'll be – I'd be a little surprised if he didn't get 30 home runs this year, um, especially if he stays on the field like you were saying. And I can't see him having a lower OBP than like 365. That feels on the low end for me based on how he approaches at-bats. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I definitely view that Bat-X projection for him as being a little weird. I, I do think that, you know, as a young guy, um, still adjusting to the league a little bit, there is a little bit more risk for the bottom to fall out and for him to have some really rough months. 
Um, I don't expect that to happen, but I, I think it's just a little bit more probable um, with with guys his age. That being said, if I had to put my money on it, I would put my money on him uh, outperforming all of these projection systems for next year. Yeah, and they really do with the younger players and the first and second year players. Bat X is the most conservative with those. And people have been going after Derek Cardi on Twitter about his Ellie De La Cruz projection um, for the last two weeks. And he's listed out all of the major prospects that uh, didn't really work out in the first couple of years that people haven't yelled at him about. And, you know, Ellie De La Cruz hit like 180 after the break. So he makes some good points, but I think he went a little too extreme with Cassis. Well, speaking of hitting around 180, let's get to Trevor Story's projection. Uh, Trevor Story, who famously batted 203 with a 250 OBP last year um, and basically no power, 316 slugging percentage. Uh, yeah, he, he was he was awful uh, last season. But you know the the depressing thing here is that the projection systems don't really think he's going to be that much better. Um, than he was last season. They have him as close to a 30% strikeout rate. Uh, all three projection systems have him over 28%. All three projection systems have him 240-ish hitter or below, uh, OBP of right around 300, and a slugging percentage. Uh, this is the one differentiation. Uh, everybody has him over 400, but uh, Zips has him all the way up at 440. Um, I think that that is probably more realistic for him to be like a 440, 450 slug guy. But, uh, you know, 2020 guy on two of these projections. But um, overall, they're they're painting a picture here of, of a guy in Trevor Story that uh, does not seem to be worth the contract. Uh, that is for damn sure. So, you know, are, are you bullish on Story at all? Do you think that the projection systems are onto something here? Or is he going to be fully healthy, bounce back, play great defense, and be sort of the player he was when the Red Sox acquired him? Yeah, so the the first thing is, is he going to be on the field? And he hasn't been the last two years. And that's a whole other discussion, all the reasons that that has happened. So let's say he is on the field for 130, you know, between 130 and 140 games this year. If that happens, I think that he should hit 240 with 20 homers and 20 steals and and play good defense i think that should happen now you know the average could be a little bit lower and it could continue to have a, a high k rate like he had last year they put it around 28 and a half all of these systems for the k percentage and that's fine but he was closer to 33 last year and 31 the year before 28.2 is his career rate so they're kind of splitting the difference on that. Um, but the reason that we're seeing this is this is a 31-year-old player. So historically, these players would start to decline. And his great seasons are now three years in the past. He hit 251 in Colorado in 2021, which for Colorado is really not that great. Um, and then you got to go back to 2020 when all of his huge seasons were from that and beyond. So, so much of the last two years, three years are averaging into these projections and he's 31 years old. And I think, you know, that's why we're seeing something that looks a little bit lackluster on paper, but I think it's fair. 
Yeah, I could see about, let me put a, a percentage on it, I could see about a 30% chance Trevor Story ends up being so bad next year that he loses his job as the shortstop by around the All-Star break. Like, I don't think that that is a completely unrealistic scenario for how he's been trending lately. So I, I guess if I was to pick one player on this team that I am least confident about having some full resurgence or bounce back or kind of enjoying a, a resurgence season, it would be Trevor Story simply because aside from the good defense, I really haven't seen anything from him since he's been here. The problem with that, even though it's entirely possible, is that he won't be opting out of the contract if there's another season of this, right? He's not going to go out and get 22 to $25 million in free agency. So if he doesn't opt out, he's here through 2027 at $25 million a year for the last two. And <laughs> are you going to bench him? Um, depends on how bad it is. Well, it also depends on like how good Marcelo Meyer is. If yeah. if Marcelo Meyer comes in healthy and is just tearing it up at Double A, and you know pushes his way to Triple A and does the same thing up there, then I think you have a legitimate discussion about it. But uh, yeah, I mean you might you might end up having to chip this guy out and uh, pay a whole bunch of that money just to clear that spot. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely worried about him. Um, Masataki Yoshida is our next guy projected to hit fifth in this lineup as the DH and projection systems really love him. Uh, they, they kind of see him as much more of that, uh, first half Masa than the second half Masa that we saw where he really tailed off and dealt with fatigue. Um, you know, all three projection systems have him hitting over 280. We have 284 for Bad X, 291 for Steamer, 295 for Zips, um, all right around 350, 360 uh, with the OBP and the slugging percentage uh, as high as uh, 460 on uh, on Steamer, um, all with low strikeout rates, good walk rates, um, 15 to 17 home runs, uh, just overall a pretty solid player. This is not your typical DH, but it's certainly a very productive bat in somebody who, you know, I'm happy to see in the lineup. And I agree with these projections on him. I actually think these might be a, a little bit closer to the low end, especially if he is getting the rest that he he needs. We we saw some really amazing things from Yoshi in his first season here last year. We saw him have some some multi home run games. He had a ton of multi hit games. Um, at his best, he did look like one of the better hitters in the American League. So I actually think this one might be a little bit on the low side. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I think it's fair across the board, and it starts with the games played because what you said, you know, maybe. I mean, we have to understand who the player is, and it's somebody that broke down and needs to play 75 to 80% of the time, maybe, instead of 90%. So you'll probably see, one, that he's DHing more, um, and two, maybe more frequent day days off this year. So, you know, that 130-game range seems fair. Um, you know, Zips has him at 295 with 16 homers, 74 RBIs. 
I mean, I would take that. And yeah, in the first half, it's really easy to forget how good of a player he was. He hit 305 in the first half with nine homers last year. Um, so he was dreadful down the stretch. His strikeout rate, um, you know, went up, I don't know what it was, six, seven percent between the first and the second half. He was not, that wasn't him down the stretch. So I think that they better understand, and maybe that's part of why a Justin Turner doesn't come back. I'd still like to see a different right-handed bat, a Jorge Soler, someone that can play the outfield if they want Yoshida to DH most of the time. Um, but that, you know, 18, yeah, 18.4 strikeout rate in the second half. That's not him. That wasn't him uh, before he came to the States, and that wasn't him in the first half. And I really think that they'll, as with many of these, it's somewhere in between. And I would take that Zips projection, the 295 with 16 homers. Yeah, I would take that too. Um, I just think that, you know, uh, p- potential for him to be the only guy on this roster to hit over 300 this year, I think is is very much in play for him. Um, watching him in the first half, I, I thought to myself, this guy is a surefire 300 hitter. So, And I know that that doesn't mean a lot these days. People don't really view that as the number that they once did, but I, it is still kind of special to me. Uh, to see guys hit over 300. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for him to do that. He is my favorite hitter on this team at this point. Um, definitely love the way that he approaches the game. All right, let's move on to Tyler O'Neill. Um, truly a befuddling player. And projection systems just don't know what the hell to do with him. Um, all They're kind of all over the place. The, the low end for average for him is Steamer with 247. High end, 268 for zips. Um, High end for slugging, uh, 482. Low end is 443. Um, Strikeout rate, pretty consistently in the high 20s. Home runs, right around 20. Stolen bases, around 10 to 15 on all these projection systems. What is standing out to me here, Bob, is that there's nothing close to his 30-30 season. There's nothing close to that remarkable uh five and a half war season from 2021 um is that guy still in there is that even in play or is this like the best we should be hoping for is you know getting 120 games out of him and 15 to 20 home runs 15 to 20 steals i think that's there because he's still 28 years old and i think that there were some weird circumstances um that occurred in st louis it wasn't just injury it was also kind of falling out of favor with the manager there um and that you know his age he's 29 so he had a 34 homer season with 15 steals and he hit 286 now the average he's never going to hit 286 again but he also has two gold gloves and his defense should keep him on the field and do I expect that season? No. But I feel like, I mean, there's new stolen base rules that could easily get him to 15 steals again if he plays a full season. And he barely played last year, to be honest. 72 games. So, you know, I think he can get 15 steals. I think he can get 25 home runs, hit 250 to 260. Um, and we see that in certain you know a little bit of each of those in certain projections and i think he'll play good enough defense to keep him on the field 
They've got him pretty much as a two, a little bit more than two war player. I I could see that happening. That's another if. It's another player that we need to see on the field. There's too many question marks this year with both the lineup and the rotation as there was last year, and that's disappointing. But just talking about who's here, you know, I, I could see him not getting to that, but getting 80% of the way there. Let me follow that up a little bit. I think O'Neal, Story, and Duran all fall into the same bucket for me as guys with high volatility, but also really high ceilings if everything breaks the right way. Um, I'm going to ask you to project for me uh, which one of these three guys is most likely to have a three-plus war season next year. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you had to bank on one of them. I'll say Duran. Okay, wow. I have have a lot of confidence in Duran if his head's right. That is an interesting one. I wasn't expecting you to pick him because if you go by all the projection systems, he is projected to have the lowest war out of all those. So so what is it about Duran that makes you a little bit more uh, confident in his ability to do that than, say, Story's ability to bounce back to previous levels or O'Neal's ability to stay on the field? Because, and uh, I'm doing this on the fly, but I think that you could take a stretch that Duran had last year. Um, let's see. He got called up in mid-April. And so we'll just go from like April 18th through August 4th. We'll take that. I'm just going to take a random range there. All right. In that time, in those three and a half months, Duran hit 317, 365 OBP, 521 slugging. So that's an 886 OPS that he had for three and a half months with a 136 WRC+. I know that his entire season didn't end up like that because he fell off a little bit late in the year and then he got hurt. But that's 315 plate appearances of... And he had a ton of doubles in that. I think he had 30 doubles. He had 22 steals in that time range. You know, you can't double all of those, right? But... um, yeah, I don't know. If he hits 317, that, that's, that's in there. That player was there last year, uh, and I think that he kind of has the best chance of doing that because he's done it most recently. Well, I like the bold projection there. I am definitely more skeptical of Duran than you are, but I'm going to go out here and be 
super bold. So I want you to remember this, Bob, for when I'm right. Um, okay. Tyler O'Neill is going to have a four-plus war season next year for the Boston Red Sox. Um, I'm super bullish on this guy. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be the, the five-and-a-half war guy uh, from 2021. I think that was a bit of an aberration. But I do think that his right-handed swing is really going to play at Fenway Park. And I love the idea of him sort of getting away get in a change of scenery. I think he's going to love the environment here. Um, and I, I just think he's going to end up being a fan favorite, big big time fit uh, for the Red Sox. So uh, very, very bullish on Tyler O'Neill this season. I like it. And, you know, you're talking about the ceiling of three different players, and that can happen, or at least with two of them. And, you know, why he didn't supplement this in the best case scenario. Yeah, we'll get into that another time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of guys that ought to be supplemented, uh, our starting right fielder uh, going into the year is Willier Abreu, uh, who is a nice player, um, you know, not taking anything away from Willier Abreu, showed a lot last year. Um, in, in a short period of time, Willier Abreu had a 316 average, 388 OBP, and a 474 slugging percentage. So, you know, albeit very small sample size, he took some great at-bats. He looked like he belonged in the big leagues. But um, clearly, projection systems do not think he is that player, and I don't think he's that player either. Um, they have him for between a two thirty eight and a two forty six batting average. Um, pretty decent OBPs, right around three thirty to three forty on most systems. Um, you know, middle, middle 20 percentage K rate, uh, about 13 to 15 home runs. Nothing spectacular, certainly not what you would want from your starting right fielder at Fenway Park. Um, you mentioned this in your article that, you know, you would have assumed that he would have been a strong side uh, platoon guy in right field, but it seems like he's going to be the dude. So uh, why do you think the Red Sox have so much confidence in, in young Willie Abreu here? I don't know. That was the whole kind of point of what I wrote there is that something else has to be coming here and it's not and I have no problem with William Abreu I thought he was the, the biggest breakout in the minor leagues last year I thought that he was one of the only things worth watching the last six weeks of the season um, the three 316 average uh, played good right field it was exciting it's like this guy could have a spot on the team next year he's playing for a spot on the team I didn't expect him to be the starter and it's if you told me that they went out and they attacked two starting pitchers and a second baseman and um, you know did three or four other things where they went out and spent their money and that they were going to go with Abreu, then I could live with that. But they didn't go out and add to the team from last year, and then you've still got Abreu, and if that doesn't work out, what's the fallback plan? Is it Rafaela? And if that doesn't work out, what's the fallback plan? You know, There's no sure thing there. You can't give it to Rob Refsnyder. He can't hit right-handed pitching. He'd be in double A if it was just right-handed pitching that he faced. Um, so I don't know. I'm just surprised um, that there, and something else could happen. But if, if this is it, I'm surprised. This is just by far the most obvious spot where uh, a Jorge, Jorge Soler signing would make the most sense. 
you know, a guy who's an established right-handed power bat come in and play the outfield um, and, and provide some much-needed power uh, to this lineup. I, I just don't understand uh, why you wouldn't do that, especially at this point in the offseason. I can't imagine that Soler would command more than a two- or three-year deal, um, and, and you figure it out. But, you know, Willier Breu, as you said, would be an excellent bench bat. Um, you could also use him as a defensive replacement later in games and, yeah. you know, move guys around. It, it just seems crazy to me that they're going to do this, but, you know. Yeah, if it doesn't are. work out, I think that they're up a creek. <laughs> yeah, big time. All right, the next guy is Vaughn Grissom, second baseman, right-handed bat, um, big-time prospect coming over from Atlanta. Um, had an awesome season in AAA last year, 920 OPS there. Um, doesn't strike out a lot. Um, he's a bigger guy, 6'3", but hasn't really tapped into his power too much. Projections have him for uh, 9 or 10 home runs, depending on which one you look at. Um, really strong averages, right around 280, 285. Good OBP. Um, I'm really excited for Von Grissom. He plays a style of baseball that I really enjoy watching. Um, I think he's going to give the team some really good at-bats, and I'm encouraged about him um, translating as a second baseman. Uh, you know, he doesn't have all that pressure of playing shortstop on him anymore. Uh, what are your thoughts on the projections for Grissom and just generally what his fit is going to be like for this team? Um, I think we all expressed a lot of excitement for you know getting six years of Vaughn Grissom for one year of Chris Sale. That was a pretty good get. You want to talk about a dark horse for a leadoff hitter. I mean, maybe second half of the year, maybe the year after, but Grissom has that profile with the the bat to ball, the low strikeout rate. Um, It was just 14% while he was at AAA last year, and he had a 920 OPS at AAA. So they're projecting him to hit over 280 in every system and over 350 for the OBP in two of those. Uh, with a very strong strikeout percentage, around 16%. If Grissom gives you the 10 homers and the 10 or so steals and a 280 average in his essentially rookie season, I know he's not a rookie, um, I think we would all take that uh, in the first year, and I think that he would be a dark horse as a potential leadoff hitter down the line. I actually really like that. Um, You know, he's not really a speed guy but he's not slow either um and and gives you great at bats so i I really like that idea i think that's really solid enrique Um, hernandez wasn't the the stereotypical leadoff hitter either right no the the roles are changing kyle schwarber's hitting leadoff somewhere (laughs) you're right everything's weird now um, the ninth guy is going to be Connor Wong, right-handed catcher um, for the Red Sox. Definitely uh, on the low side for projections, but I, th- I think these are totally fair. They all have him as somewhere between a 230 and a 250 bat with a sub-300 OBP. Slugging percentage of right around 400, WRC plus of around 80 to 88. Um, you know, not a lot here. Um and not a lot on the bench either. There's it's it's a bleaker picture when you look at Reese McGuire's projections. Uh, not very confident in any offensive output from from this catching situation. What do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, my biggest takeaway was I think we're going to see Kyle Teal this year. Um, 
if he is putting up reasonable defensive performance down there and you've got <laughs> Reese McGuire's projections of two home runs and 19 RBIs. Oh my God. Um, you know, everywhere just kind of have him in that 60 to 70 WRC plus I, him hitting left, left-handed and, and teal as well. I just, I've, I've talked myself into seeing him at some point in 2024 over, the other prospects and seeing these projections is kind of continued that I guess with Wong, I, I think he's just fine as a platoon. I think he will have a, a decent major league career. And I think, you know, he had some stretches last year where he provided power and can get hot. And, you know, this was an area at the beginning of the off season that it just felt to me like it, it it's fine. Just like as I was saying with right field, it's fine to have Connor Wong as your nine hitter. As long as you've you've done thing things elsewhere, I think that they have kind of too many holes in this lineup. Um, you know, Wong would have been fine with a, a Jorge Soler and a couple of arms, and and if they had done more elsewhere. Every time you see that Wong to uh, Dick Fitz battery operating, are you going to think about Mookie Betts? <laughs> I thought that I had gone through all of the Dick Fitz jokes in my head and I didn't think of where <laughs> Connor Wong came into play. Yeah, oh, geez. What a, that's going to be a momentous occasion. It's going to be electric. It's gonna I be will electric. be there with a Fitz jersey on. <laughs> Homemade. All right. Well, we should, uh, you know, before we, we move on to our next segment, we should just give a head nod to Rob Snyder, who continues to crush lefties. Uh, 828 OPS versus lefties last year and 466 OPS. That is not a batting average uh, versus righties. Um, so yeah, he's, he's on the team for one very specific reason. Yep. All right, let's move on to uh fan playoff projections and projected standings for next year. Um, you know, I've been eagerly awaiting these to come out and uh, you know, right around this time is when they come out because they expect that most players have signed right now. Um, there's a bunch of players still out there who could greatly influence these projections, but the Red Sox probably aren't going to be involved in any of those guys. So I think it's safe for us to look at these now. Um, two different playoff odds. One has them uh, essentially uh, as an 80 win team with 82 losses, um, a little bit under 500. The other one has them at 81 and 81 um, and chance to make the playoffs 26.3%. Um, but what stood out to me uh, was just how bullish the projection system um, from Fangraphs was on the offense, ranking them behind only the Braves, Dodgers, and Astros and Yankees in terms of runs scored per game uh, with 4.92. Um, and they were similarly uh, offended by the pitching staff that the Red Sox are trotting out there, like I am. Um, they had them as the seventh worst, uh, seventh from the bottom uh, pitching staff, so 23rd worst at 4.89 runs allowed per game uh, based on those projections. And if you do the math, uh, that would be a run differential of four positive runs. Uh, over the course of the season. You know, looking at these uh, offensive projections for the Red Sox, 
I was surprised, and that didn't seem quite right to me, that the Red Sox would be projected to score as many runs as they are. That seems like a 80 to 90th percent projectile outcome um, for their run totals. What am I missing here? The first thing that I thought about is just the more that I've read about the park factor at Fenway and that it's almost Coors Field in terms of its effect on games. And I, and you see that, so, so it's like, you know, that the pitching is offensive and we've got 4.9 runs allowed projected and that's one of the five or six worst in the whole league. Um, but are both of these numbers being brought up, you know, three-tenths of a run because of the park factor? And if you go over the last three years, Coors Field is a 112, Fenway's a 108, and then the Reds' Great American Ballpark is a 107. And I feel like most people talk about Coors Field and Great American Ballpark and then everybody else. And Baseball Savant has Fenway, not with home runs, they're 99 with home runs, but second in all of baseball on the park factor of, you know, doubles and triples and how much the, the Green Monster seems to affect play there and higher scoring games. So I wonder if that is just factored in significantly, even though I agree it's too high. Yeah, I, I agree with that, that it's, it's certainly a doubles park and I've always thought of it that way. My one hesitation with that is just that there's so many damn lefties in this lineup still uh, and so many of their key offensive players are lefties and you know taking Justin Turner a power righty who can use the wall out of that lineup kind of scares me a little bit how do you think about that oh I agree this is too high I'm just trying to come up with a reason for it <laughs> <laughs> um I, I think the win total is too high I think the run scored per game is too high and yeah, that was really all I could come up with. I, I think that they are bullish in general on this team. And I just, as currently constituted, I don't see an 81 win team. Yeah, well, just to, to put that in perspective too, um, where that would put them in terms of the AL East would be last place. Um, they're projecting all of the other AL East teams to be significantly better. They have the Yankees at the top. Uh, Rays, Orioles, and Blue Jays extremely close to each other in the standings. Um, we'll we'll get to our own projections later, but uh, yeah, Red Sox looking like basement dwellers again, um, and it doesn't seem particularly uh, close at this point with who is the worst team in the division. So, not encouraging. I, the Dodgers at 93 and 69 uh, perplexes me as well, coming off a 100-win season and what they've done in the offseason. So I know these, again, these are just as conservative. They're going to, everything's going to be kind of more bunched up. You're not going to see the 105-win or 105-loss teams. They don't have any, any teams above 100 either direction. I thought the Dodgers would be above 93. They've got the Braves at 97, Dodgers 93, Astros 91, and then Yankees at 89 in first in the division. Well, I agree with you. I think the Dodgers are going to be a lot better than 93 wins. Yeah. All right, let's get to our questions before we get on out of here. Uh, our first question comes from Patty O.D. He says he's been skewing negative for all his questions this offseason, so he's going to skew positive here. 
Uh, out of Teal, Meyer, and Anthony, which will have the biggest impact on the club for 2024? Or is there any other player in the minors that could make a big impact with the team? And lastly, he says, is there a particular storyline, position battle, pitching staff decision that you think will be especially interesting during spring training? So, so let's start with the prospects here. Out of Teal, Meyer, and Anthony, I think you kind of alluded to it, maybe gave your answer away a little bit earlier, but uh, are you still thinking that it is Teal out of those three? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it's Kyle Teal. Um, you know, I still think Anthony's, at this time, probably the best prospect in the long run, highest upside, but I think Teal might be the biggest need if they are a competitive team, and I think even if not, they he would get a month at the end of the year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that um, Kyle Teal is certainly the guy who has the clearest path and where the team has the greatest need right now. Um, I think Anthony has the hardest path, but is the best player out of these three. Um, I'm going to just for the sake of being different, I'm going to go with Marcelo Mayer. Uh, I'm going to say that he bounces back from the injury and really pushes hard on, on Trevor Story for playing time. So... Uh, could be something there. We'll watch it, but I think Teal is probably the right answer. Um, position player uh, or storyline here for a, a particular battle. I think the battle for the fifth starter is the thing that's most interesting to me at this point for this team. You know, between Hauk and Whitlock and some of the other names uh, that are that are vying for that spot. What what would you say is the most interesting uh, storyline? I think there's that and there's right field. Um, we talked about Abreu um, kind of being the the leader from last year, but you know we do have to remember that Rafaela was up for a month, and I think that he'll get a shot to, to compete there and, and for a roster spot as well. So that's what I'm looking at a little bit there. I mean, Rafaela could show up and uh, be hitting for power and playing 80 grade defense and force his way onto the roster so that would be the other one but i agree about the fifth starter i would love to see that by the way um the more rafaela i can get next year the better yeah uh gavin blackburn has our next question he says now that ownership has basically come clean and says they've been they're waiting on their top prospects to come up before they make any real investment in the team i've got a question for you Simple on the face of it, no doubt more complicated uh, to answer. Uh, is Marcelo Meyer a big league shortstop? I say absolutely yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think there was a lot uh, that went into his poor performance last year that had to do with the injury. Um, and until I see a fully healthy Marcelo Meyer who is not able to hit and play impact defense. I'm going to say that this is still the guy who was the consensus best uh, position player uh, in his draft. Uh, it's borderline miracle. He fell to, to number four to the Red Sox in that draft. And, you know, I, I remember that because I watched that draft from the hospital uh, while my wife was giving birth. Um, so, you know, it's like one of those, particular drafts that just stays in my head right uh, for for whatever reason but uh yeah i think he's definitely a big league shortstop well, i'm glad you were focused on the the important things there yeah um, of course needed a sure-handed mitt to catch that baby 
<laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and especially with the defensive, we've heard rave defensive reviews about Meyer. Um, you know, the bat might not be what we thought it was. He had a shoulder injury the majority of the year, not to make excuses for him. I mean, he's got to come out and hit this year to force his way up at some point this season or to prove that he's an everyday guy a year from now. But the glove is there. Um, and even the comps that we've gotten have been from about players who were, were 10 year shortstops in the league or, or third baseman or wherever he ends up. Um, so he will be that. He just might not be the four five war player that we thought he might be at that draft. Yeah. If he's a two or three war guy playing shortstop, I think that's still pretty good player, pretty valuable guy. Yep. All right, our next one comes from Polly, and uh, Polly for the children. I'm going to shorten this one just a little bit, but uh, I do appreciate it, Polly. Uh, he always says, brings the heat. He always does. He's consistent with the heat. We love the enthusiasm. Uh, he says, how much does it piss you off that Ryan Brazier became a competent baseball player? That mother effer gave me more gray hairs over the last two years than anyone ever has solidifying him as my all-time hated Red Sox player. Uh, he goes on to say that he looks like uh, Gerard Butler's brother if he sucked at pitching for Boston. He ends with Yankees suck and uh, says a bunch of other stuff too. But the the main takeaway here from Polly is that uh, Ryan Brazier uh, does piss me off because you know he was unable to get anyone out here with the Red Sox and just stuck around this team uh like a tick uh on on your body that you just can't find or get off and uh yeah and then he went out and like absolutely shoved with the Dodgers and parlayed that into a deal so out of um guys who you rationally or irrationally hate like I I hate Brazier and I think it's rational I hate uh Yovera and that's irrational you know, where does he rank on that scale for you of guys who have played for the Red Sox that you just hate? God, I mean, it's got to be close with all of us. We spent way too much time talking about him for a middle reliever. And the fact that he then went to Los Angeles and we we had a feeling that he was going to unlock something. They knew that that there was something there and they couldn't unlock it. And you wonder if this current group that's coming in would have been able to find something between Breslow and Bailey and Bodie um, that the Dodgers did, right? That's what's most frustrating is that they knew something was there and they held on with him for years too long uh, and couldn't figure it out. I'd say the top of that list is probably Adrian Gonzalez for me. Um, you know, just that year of complaining about playing Sunday night games too often and underperforming and then them unloading that whole group out to out to the Dodgers thanks to magic um that I don't know whether that was rational or irrational hate and it was just that one one and a half seasons and he really wasn't that bad of a player geez he hit 338 the first year in Boston but I couldn't stand the guy so maybe it was irrational yeah I, I'm I'm thinking of a name uh, and, and Adrian Gonzalez is a good one there, but I'm thinking of a name of a guy who came over from the 
uh, Seattle Mariners as a pitcher in the mid-2000s, and I'm just blanking on his name, but he absolutely sucked, and all he did was throw meatballs while he was here. Um, This is a relief pitcher? It's a relief pitcher in the early 2000s, and I'm just struggling with the name. Um, It's going to bug me, and I'm going to think of it as soon as I get out of here, but uh, yeah, yeah, this is this is terrible radio. Sorry, or 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 podcasting, but whatever. Um, what the next question, I'm going to try to find it. <laughs> all right. Um, the the next question here is from TJ McPhee. He says, "Hope everyone's getting through the dead of winter all right." Um, through his first two big league seasons, there was a lot of discussion about limiting Bayo's innings load. Do you think they will really let him loose this year? How many innings are we looking at? Thanks, TJ McPhee. Um, you know, looking at his innings totals from last year, uh, he was right around 157. Um, I do think that, you know, if he comes in with a clean, full bill of health uh, this spring and he hasn't had any setbacks so far, I could see them letting him go all the way up to 200 innings uh, this year um, if he if he's healthy and able to do that. I still have doubts about the body, um, considering... He's, he's a bit smaller, a little bit slighter, and he throws so damn hard. So, you know, it's it's a good bet betting against guys to throw 200 innings these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I f- figured out who I hated. Is it Joel, Joel Pinheiro? It was Joel Pinheiro. <laughs> I just thought of it. I wasn't even looking at the list of rosters. I just It just came to me. Um, but, oh, yes. I needed to look at the rosters to figure out. Where in your brain that was going? Yeah, what year was that, Joel Pinheiro? Was that uh, that was two thousand seven? Oh wow, it was oh seven. Okay, yes, uh, he didn't finish. He threw thirty four innings, and then he went to St. Louis. It was five oh three here and three ninety six in St. Louis, and it's pretty good for them for three years. But yeah, I mean, I, he sucked in Seattle too, so I don't know what your expectations were. I hated him. I don't know why. I just hated Joel Pinheiro. He's one of my. Uh, my most hated of all time. Uh, really His whip verse. was 1.62, so I don't know what your problem was with him. <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah, Bayo threw 163 innings as a 24-year-old, and he started kind of late with the forearm thing. They've been as aggressive with him as they could be for someone that age. You know, they called him up early. Uh, they let him go six, seven innings all the time. And he's proven that he can handle it, and he hasn't lost velocity later in the season. I wouldn't say 200, but I could see 185 to 190 this year. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, and, and I could see him being the first guy since, what, Erod here to get up to 200? Has anybody got up to 200 since Erod? I don't know. I, I wouldn't think that think would so. be the last one, but yeah. he's he's on track, so let's keep that arm healthy and... Sign him to an extension. Well, there we go. Uh, you know, despite the Red Sox not giving us almost anything, we've gotten to an hour and 15 minutes on this podcast. So I say uh, well done by us. You're sick bastards. <laughs> we really are. And Joel Pinheiro got an unexpected uh, <laughs> ice ball thrown at his head today uh, <laughs> by me. So, you know, Joel, if you're listening with the family, uh, you know, I'm, I, my apologies. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that does it for our show, Bob. Thank you for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Um, yep. 
and uh, Keaton is uh, over in Europe, so when he comes back, he'll be hopping on the show with us again. Um, you can find our show anywhere you get your podcasts, rate, review, do all that fun stuff. Um, send us an email, again, redseatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at, at @devjake. You can find Bob at BobOzgood15. And you can find the Over the Monster account at, at OverTheMonster. We'll be with you again sooner than you'd think. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.